I will give you an answer, and I'm sure it will be a wrong answer. You don't Google it? He should have Googled it. He would have been smart to Google that answer. Stuck in the middle with you from Pacifica Radios, KPFK 90.7 in Los Angeles. This is the broadcast. As heard on 90.7 FM in LA, 91.7 FM KYAQ on the Oregon Central Coast, 93 FM WLRI in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, coast to coast and around the globe on kpfk.org. Via iTunes, streaming on the Progressive Voices Channel, on Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, Radio or Not, Radio Free Brooklyn, other affiliates in Parts Unknown, and of course, Radio Sputnik, five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, all-around swell fellow says me. From bradblog.com, thank you for joining us today, tonight, whenever you may be lucky enough to tune in, whenever I may be lucky enough to have you tune in to to our program. Uh, Coming up in just a few minutes here, the man who landed a gyrocopter on the lawn of the U.S. Capitol last spring, you remember him, Uh, he did so in order to bring attention to money in politics We had him on this program right after that happened. He has now agreed to a plea deal after uh, after he was arrested when he landed on the U.S. Capitol. He was hit with six charges that could have netted him more than nine years in prison. Well, he may still be going to prison, hopefully not for nine years. Uh, In any event, he will be here to uh, discuss the details of all of that, how long he may end up in prison and uh, what this uh, what this stunt has done. What has uh, did it work? Did it bring the attention to the issue that he was concerned about? Would he do it again? All of that uh, we will discuss in a little bit. Uh, also, will well, I don't even know. I don't even think we're going to have time to get to this. But there was a forum on Friday night. They call it a forum, a Dem- Democratic uh, presidential forum first in the South, down in South Carolina. Um, Hillary Clinton, Martin O'Malley, Bernie Sanders, all interviewed one after another by MSNBC's Rachel Maddow. It wasn't a debate. It was a forum. So they weren't uh, on stage at the same time. This is, you know, this is kind of ridiculous in that it is the uh, uh, the DNC has decided to be incredibly stingy when it comes to debates between the candidates. Uh, and so this did not qualify as a debate because they weren't actually debating each other. It was sort of one after another. Nonetheless, I thought it was still uh, very interesting, very informative, and a uh, stark contrast, once again, to these uh, circuses that have become the uh, Republican debates uh, for president. Uh, hopefully we'll, we'll talk a little bit about the Democratic Forum a little bit later in the week because we've got another Republican debate. So we're going to be talking about that and uh, hopefully we'll fold this in as well 
uh, in a few days uh, with uh, who, who's our guest, Desi Doyen, uh, for the debate. Is oh, we're going to have on David Dayan David of Salon.com and Financial Times. Yeah. He's a financial journalist, so he'll be able to hopefully speak to what I'm sure will be some amazing facts coming out of the Republican <laughs> well, debate that's supposed to be hosted by Fox Business. Well, because it's right, it's on the Fox Business Channel. And right. they complained last time about CNBC. Oh, it's supposed to be about the economy. We didn't talk about the economy. So this time they will, and we'll bring in uh, David Dayan uh, to make actual sense out exactly. of the nonsense they offer. And we'll also have uh, Heather Digby, Parton of Digby's Hullabaloo, who is our regular uh, debate post-analyst specialist. Our returning champion. Yes. She hasn't missed a, <laughs> a, a, a post-debate uh, show yet, so right. we'll look forward to that later in the week and, and, uh, and hopefully get to the Democrats as well. That would be nice. Uh, oh, and that hi, Des. That's hi. Desi Doyen. <laughs> uh, the lovely Desiree is our producer here, of course, my co-host on the Green News Report. Uh, good to see you. Hope you are well. The um, uh, So anyway, we're going to get to all of that. But first, uh, so this story continues to break, and we continue ha to have a new update even just moments ago as we go to air. Uh, I love the way Dave Zirin uh, over at uh, The Nation described this. He said, uh, on Saturday night, as Americans gathered to watch the racist Donald Trump get free airtime on M NBC's Saturday Night Live, roughly 30 black Mizzou football players, that's the University of Missouri, some with their arms interlocked, sent out the following message. The athletes of color on the University of Missouri football team truly believe injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. Everywhere, We will no longer participate in any football-related activities until President Tim Wolf resigns or is removed due to his negligence towards marginalized students' experiences. We are united in all caps. As one player who was uh, who had asked Dave Zirin of the nation to uh, to not be named said, we see what's happening here. We felt stupid saying and doing nothing while all this was going on around us. We want to be leaders on this because it affects us, too. So what was going on, which was getting almost no coverage uh, in the media, at least in the corporate media, until the football players g got into the act and said, yeah, we, we ain't going to play anymore. Unless uh, President Tim Wolf, president of the University of Missouri system, steps down uh, until they said that nobody was, well, certainly not on, on a national level outside of the, uh, well, not on a national level. They weren't weren't covering it. We had all sorts of racist incidents that were happening at the campus, at uh, the Mizzou campus in Columbia, Missouri. And I should say, this is, I'm from Missouri, so this is kind of personal. My original love uh, was born and raised in St. Louis, and so... Uh, hearing this going on at uh, at Mizzou brings me no amount of shame, frankly, that this was going on, that these uh, racial incidents, racist incidents were going on. Dr. Rebecca Martinez, an assistant professor in women's and, ge uh, and gender studies at Mizzou, told Dave Zirin uh, that uh, given the importance of football here, the players are taking a significant stand. They are not thinking of themselves, their play, and their careers at this moment. It's not an easy thing to do on football-centered campus, on a football-centered campus like ours, especially around the issue of racism. There will uh, likely be no shortage of those who put football above humanity and who are convinced that racism doesn't live here. 
and they, she says, are wrong. In fact, uh, the students band together, uh, the uh, black uh, students on campus had band together and uh, made some demands, including uh, of the university, including that uh, Tim Wolf, uh, the president of the University of Missouri system, should step down. One of the students there uh, had begun a hunger strike. Interesting. One of the demands they made was to meet the demands that were made on the campus back in 1969 that have still not been met by the campus. The group has been calling themselves Concerned Student 1950, and 1950 was the year that the University of Missouri started uh, allowing African-Americans to even attend the university. Students collectively gathered in great numbers on campus grounds to ask why black lives didn't matter, didn't seem to matter to the administration at Mizzou. These demands were met with apathy by Tim Wolf, the president, and a series of incidents of racial harassment of black students. It reached a breaking point on October 24 when a swastika was smeared in feces on the wall of a dorm bathroom. For grad student Jonathan Butler, that was the last straw, and he announced on uh, November 2nd, just last, uh, just last week, that he was going on a hunger strike. Uh, and his demands, Butler's demands, were that uh, Wolf steps down. He said, uh, quote, I already feel like campus is an unlivable space. It's worth sacrificing something of this grave amount because I'm already not wanted here. He said, I'm already not treated like a human. Well, the... Uh, the football players, uh, the black players on the uh, University of Missouri team, the Tigers, uh, they stood up and they put, you know, tweeted out their uh, their support for Jonathan Butler and uh, their uh, their the administrators there, the coaches there at least supported the team and basically said they they are not going to play until Tim Wolf steps down. Now, like I said, I'm from Missouri. Uh, Mizzou football is a big thing across the state. Columbia, Missouri is about two hours away, right in the middle of the state, about two hours uh, uh, west of St. Louis, about two hours uh, uh, east of Kansas City, right in the middle of the state. It's a big thing in uh, in Missouri. And when these players said, hey, we ain't playing, and they make up uh, about uh, 30, uh, uh, 30 players on the team, when they said, we ain't playing unless he steps down, oh, now all of a sudden people start to listen. And collectively, these players uh, used their power to try to do something about this situation. They are unpaid. Uh, they are currently not unionized. I think not even allowed to unionize. But they uh, collectively bargained here, if you will, to try to get something done. And then all of a sudden people began to pay attention. One of the comments from uh, Tim Wolf I thought was just amazing, and it hasn't really gotten as much coverage as I would think. The uh, Tim, I, I couldn't believe I was even hearing this, seeing this with my own eyes. It's a little bit hard to hear uh, in this in this video clip, but Tim Wolf was asked by a bunch of students, by a bunch of protesting students. Uh, what he thinks systematic oppression is. His answer was kind of remarkable, and then he just walked away. And this is the guy who's the president of this huge school system, University of Missouri. He was asked, uh, what do you think systematic oppression is, University of Missouri system president Tim Wolf? 
I will give you an answer, and I'm sure it will be a wrong answer. You gonna Google it? I will give you an answer, and I'm sure it will be a wrong answer. Systematic oppression is because you don't believe that you have the equal opportunity for success. You don't believe Did you just blame us for systematic oppression, Tim Wolf? Did you just blame black students? So that was uh, the clip stops there. Uh, Are you kidding? Uh, His answer to a system of what systematic oppression is, is you don't believe that you have the equal opportunity to succeed. Really, Tim Wolf? Really? You're the president of a university system like Missouri, and that's what you think? You have no idea what systematic oppression is. You have no idea what it is like for just on the most basic levels, uh, an African-American to you know walk out on the street and try to get a taxi cab uh, for what it's like for, uh, you know, an African-American named, you know, Chanel Washington uh, to apply for a job when she's up against a guy named, you know, Bob Simons. Who do you think is going to get that call back? That's built into the system. That is baked in the cake. And the idea that a university president doesn't understand that is simply amazing to me. Just absolutely amazing to me. But as far as I understand it, that came uh, that comment came late in the game here. Uh, the football players uh, had already uh, taken up the demand, joined the other students, joined the uh, the hunger strikers. Uh, And as Dave Zirin writes, uh, in our sports obsessed culture, it that matters when the football players come on. As Dr. Martinez said to him, it's sad that a student starving himself doesn't get attention like a football strike does, but they know their power. And and, uh, she says, I'm proud of them for using it. It's not easy to stand up, especially here. Dave Zirin goes on to say there is no football team without black labor. That means there aren't million dollars coaching salaries without black labor. There isn't a nucleus of campus social life without black labor. There isn't the weekly economic boon to Columbia, Missouri, bringing in millions in revenue to hotels, restaurants and other assorted businesses without black labor. The power brokers of Columbia need these games to be played. There were three more games left in the in the year in the football season this year for Mizzou. Yet if the young black men and those willing to stand with them and there are white teammates publicly standing with them as well, if they aren't happy with the grind of unpaid labor on a campus openly hostile to black students, they can take it all down just by putting down their helmets, hanging up their spikes and folding their arms. And that's what they did today. Tim Wolf announced that he would be uh, resigning as president of the university. And just as we go to air today, uh, this breaking news, uh, the uh, Mizzou chancellor, the chancellor of the uh, University of Missouri at Columbia, Missouri, R. Bowen Lofton, is also stepping down at the end of the year. Now, Dave Zirin was writing at The Nation uh, uh, before they, uh, these, uh, these guys, Tim Wolf. And uh, Bowen Lofton stepped down. He wrote that the bravery and intelligence of our students. He was quoting a Missouri associate professor, uh, Sam Cohn. I'm sorry. The bravery and intelligence of our students is an inspiration to all of us here. If they can stand up for what they believe, we all can. 
The kids are all right. I'm not a big fan of football here, but I have just become a big fan of those players. Well, me too. Me too. But that's not even why I mentioned the entire story. It is breaking and important news. Uh, but the reason I mention it, you know, Joe Dunman, the Kentucky attorney who represented uh, those uh, gay couples who are trying to get married down around County Kentucky uh, against uh, County Clerk Kim Davis. Uh, he's a, also a civil rights champion. And 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 he tweeted appeal to the heart. Nobody cares. Appeal to the wallet. Everybody is all ears. Apparently so. Apparently so. But it tells us that the power of the wallet and the power of these players to make a change uh, is there and can be leveraged and, frankly, should be leveraged. You know, in talking about the Kentucky election last week uh, and the fact that you had this uh, Republican who was going to lose in poll after poll after poll running for, for governor, Matt Bevan, uh, every single poll said he was going to lose to the Democrat by, you know, about five points. He ends up winning by nine points, according to the reported results from the computer tabulators that nobody has bothered to verify. In talking about that and pointing that out and pointing out that nobody has been able to verify, nobody has bothered, I should say, to verify it because they got paper ballots there. The amount of tax attacks uh, that I've received just by raising that point and saying count those ballots is kind of amazing to me. From uh, folks on the left and the right, progressives, and over the weekend, a lot of Republicans were coming after me, uh, saying that uh, I was claiming Republicans stole this election. No, I've been claiming no such thing. I've been claiming we ought to count the ballots. We have them. Both the winners and the losers and their supporters alike deserve to know if they won or lost, so count the ballot. But apparently, uh, that's somehow controversial. But so many of you have jumped in, have helped to make noise, have spread the word about this story, have taken to Twitter, to Facebook to try to let people know what's going on here, what your concerns are. Uh, my thanks for that. I do know that many feel dispirited, that it often feels like the system is so rigged against the people, uh, and to some extent that is true, but that does not make you powerless. There are levers of power that people can exercise, and they can take on the most powerful forces out there. And what happened at the University of Missouri is just more evidence of that. Uh, we've seen other uh, such evidence uh, recently. Uh, the success, of course, of, of marriage equality, speaking of Kentucky and Joe Dunman. Uh, the, uh, the fact that Arctic drilling has now come to an end, that the Obama administration says they will not approve that anymore, that's thanks to all of the activists who, uh, you know, organized, you know, and, and kept Shell Oil, kept their rig from getting out of the bay taking to kayaks and canoes and protesting against the Keystone XL pipeline and seeing yourself you know, arrested, chaining yourself to the White House fence, making noise, taking on the most powerful industry in the history of civilization and making a difference. I know that, uh, you know, it sometimes seems like we're powerless. And when I talk about elections the way I do, you hear some people say, well, why bother to vote at all? Well, one of the reasons is because if you don't, then the bad guys uh, don't need to keep you from voting. They don't need to steal your vote. You've given it to them. As I've said so many times, nobody said democracy was going to be easy. 
Desi Doyen, I believe, as you have said many times, democracy is a uh, participation. How do you I say, say it? democracy is not a spectator sport. There you go. And yeah. also, and I also say the world is run by those who show up. And if you don't show up, other people will. It is not a, uh, a spectator sport. Uh, you have to participate. And so those people uh, who do participate, those people who do find their leverage, I know that, you know, marching in the streets, uh, like we saw in the civil rights era, uh, that has to some ex extent lost its effectiveness. But there are other ways. There are other ways. And the folks on the, uh, uh, the, the Tigers, the Mizzou Tigers, the football team, showed there was another way and that progress can be made. The folks in their kayaks protesting shell oil and Arctic drilling showed there could be another way. Uh, the folks who got arrested uh, just trying to raise awareness of the concerns about Keystone XL showed there is another way. The people who are out there on social media making noise about what happened last week in Kentucky and warning about the future have shown that there is another way. It's going to be hard uh, but change can happen. And when it comes to campaign finance reform, that takes courage, that takes smarts, that takes sacrifice. But it can be done. It is not impossible. We can take on this challenge. And my guest today has brought a lot of those, uh, a lot of that courage and those smarts and certainly that sacrifice to the fight to get money the hell out of politics and try somehow, somehow to reform our election system when it comes to uh, when it comes to campaign finance. The guy who brought that fight, who, who, who bought, built and flew a gyrocopter to D.C. and landed it on the lawn of the U.S. Capitol last spring in hopes of raising awareness to that fight he will join us right after this on the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Stay tuned. Hi, this is Desi Doyen from the Green News Report and the Bradcast, both brought to you without corporate or political influence. Why? Because we rely on you to help keep us completely independent. Please drop by bradblog.com slash donate today and help us stay on your public airwaves. That's bradblog.com slash donate. You'll thank yourself later. I'll thank you now. And first at 11, a gyrocopter lands and jaws drop on the grounds of the U.S. Capitol. A man who landed a gyrocopter on the lawn of the U.S. Capitol. It is that shocking stunt pulled off by a man who flew his small gyrocopter to Washington and then landed on the west lawn of the U.S. Capitol. This gives new meaning to the idea of airmail. Right now we're standing in the middle of the National Mall. This is basically the gyrocopter's flight path. 24 hours after he crashed his gyrocopter near the U.S. Capitol, He'll appear before a federal judge to face a bunch of charges. Doug Hughes made national headlines last week when he landed his gyrocopter on the west lawn of the Capitol. He hoped to make a statement on the corrupting effects of big money on elections. But instead, the focus remains on his flight and the resulting security breach. But instead, he began a different conversation about the state of Homeland Security. On there, Mr. Postman. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from Bradblog.com. You all may remember those uh, those those clips, that story, that remarkable story. Uh, when 61-year-old Florida letter carrier Douglas Hughes flew from Pennsylvania to Washington, D.C. last spring on, on tax day, actually, April 15. 
uh, in a tiny, really cool little gyrocopter. He caused quite the stir at the time when he landed the craft on the West Lawn of the U.S. Capitol and was subsequently arrested and charged with violating national airspace, operating an unregistered aircraft, all manner of things. The corporate media naturally freaked out, of course, about the national security implications of a guy in an open aircraft like that being able to land so close to the Capitol building. But his stunt was not meant to expose security vulnerabilities in the nation's capital, but to draw attention to the need for campaign finance reform. As Hughes, in his homemade gyrocopter with a U.S. Postal Service logo, which, by the way, as I believe as he told us last time, he paid for it, uh, downloaded it from the Internet, paid for that logo, etc. Uh, in any event, he had planned to deliver a letter to each of the 535 U.S. senators and congressmen demanding that they make a choice about reforming our absurd system of campaign finance and politics in uh, uh, cash money in elections. Uh, our campaign finance system, which by and large no longer even exists, thanks to the Supreme Court's decision in the Citizens United case, uh, the McCutcheon case and uh and others, and uh, frankly, since Republicans essentially have determined to cripple the Federal Elections Commission, the FEC, in order to keep it from enforcing even the few campaign finance regulations that remain in place. It's something we've talked about, well, for a very long time on this program. Uh, Hughes joined us on the broadcast shortly after the uh, courageous stunt of his last spring. And he has been facing a variety of felony charges ever since, including the possibility of literally, literally years in jail for trying to raise attention to this important matter. Even uh, as a tiny handful of millionaires and billionaires and corporations continue to spend billions to bastardize our representative democracy in all manner of ways as we plow towards the 2016 election. So... After many months and negotiations now with the government, Doug Hughes has now decided, reportedly, to plead guilty to one single felony charge related to the infamous gyrocopter flight. His attorney, Mark Goldstone, was uh, was quoted by AP late last week saying, uh, quote, democracy itself is jeopardized when citizens lose the ability to speak to their government and Doug's dramatic act of aerial civil disobedience was a cry that our democracy is in peril unless ordinary citizens feel free to speak up and have their voices heard by their government. Doug Hughes joins us again today to discuss it all, to discuss uh, his plans to uh, plead guilty to one felony charge. Doug Hughes, welcome back to the broadcast, sir. Uh, great to have you back. Uh, and uh, first, I want to obviously get into uh, the reason again that you did all of this. But let's let's talk about the price that you are paying for all of this. First, uh, what is the charge? Uh, I guess the single felony charge reportedly that you have now agreed to plead guilty to. Uh, flying without a pilot's license is uh, is the felony that I've had to cop to. Um, we had argued that we wanted to keep it to the three misdemeanor charges of flying through restricted airspace, mm -hmm. uh, even though the risk, the sentencing risk was higher in going for the three. Mm -hmm. um, 
but the prosecution was adamant about wanting uh, to press with a single felony charge, and, uh, and so that that that's what we wind up having to compromise to. A- any idea why they wanted specifically that fel- well, single felony rather than uh, uh, three misdemeanor charges? Does it have to do with the amount of the, uh, the fine, the potential uh, jail time, etc.? Do you have any idea? Um, well, I, again, I was willing to put myself at risk for greater jail time in order to uh, not plead to the felony. I, I do have a sense that the individual prosecutor that my attorneys face was not making all of the decisions himself. Um, but, of course, he's never said uh, exactly where the pressures are coming from. When there was a, uh, a House Oversight Committee uh, meeting about my flight, um, the chair of the House Oversight Committee was extremely frustrated that uh, I had actually only committed three felonies by flying through restricted airspace. And uh, so there certainly was are, are some in Congress who were not happy um, that I wasn't facing more serious charges. But I can't say that the prosecutor's office is uh, given into any pressure from Congress, because I don't know where the pressure may be from. So that was, uh, you, you referred to the chair of the House Oversight Committee, that was Jason Chaffetz uh, in yeah. those hearings? Yeah, he yeah went, he's one of my biggest fans. Oh, I'm sure, <laughs> I know he is. Uh, so he was uh, stunned that it was only a potential three misdemeanors at the time. And, and this is a federal prosecution, right? This is the Department of Justice you're now dealing with in, in D.C. That, that, that's correct. Um, when I was locked up, there was obviously a great deal of, of debate over what the jurisdiction was going to be. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, they did finally decide on this going into the federal court. And there were initially some six charges uh, we reported a few days after you were on this show uh, initially, and then the charges uh, were announced. The six charges, as I recall, filed against you could have landed you in jail for as many as nine and a half years. Uh, so with the the plea deal you're looking at now, those charges go away, but will there still be jail time uh, attached to this felony we- agreement? got is um, my lawyers were able to negotiate a cap on what the prosecution will ask for, Mm -hmm. and we're free to ask for straight probation, and of course we will, okay? Mm -hmm. So I'm hopeful for an outcome that is is simply probation. Um, The prosecution can go up to 10 months in what they ask for in penalties, but the judge is actually technically free to give me up to three years in jail for the single felony charge. Wow. Um, yeah. But we, I, I feel like we do have a good argument for probation alone, given that there was no injury and no property damage nor any intent to do either. I've got no priors, okay? Uh-huh. Um, so, you know, other than, you know, traffic infractions that have happened in my lifetime, there isn't anything. Is the uh, is there a minimum of any type that the the judge must sentence you uh, to jail? No, or no, he's, the judge, yeah, the, the judge is free to uh, to give me uh, a month's probation to I mm-hmm. think a limit of a year uh, of of probation it, on the bottom end. So she could give me a very light probation, or she could go up to a year, or she could go up to three years because, in, in the sentence. 
because because you had rejected, uh, as I uh, reportedly a roll call says you rejected two previous plea deals that would have included jail time uh, for certain. Is that is that correct? Can you confirm that? Uh, yeah, the other one, the, the prosecution was initially demanding uh, an actual sentence of ten months in jail. Mm-hmm. Okay, whereas this sentence puts a cap of ten months on what they'll ask for. Okay. Okay. So we're talking zero to ten. Ten months is what I think the the real risk is, and uh, I, I, I'm not looking forward to the idea of uh, of six months in federal jail. No, I, I wouldn't expect but, you it would. Yeah, go ahead. But the the risk, had I pushed it to trial, uh, was a, a very real risk with no cap and no limits of nine and a half years. And if you are uh, given more jail time than you feel is is merited here uh, by the judge, are you able to change your plea and go to uh, go to trial and and make your case before a before a jury of your peers who I would think would look no. at this and go, no, we're not going to give this guy jail time for for what he did. No, the um, that was certainly the trade off in the decision making process is, is whether or not I wanted to take the benefit of a jury by my peers with a risk of nine years, right? okay, mm-hmm. or do a deal that um, I wasn't terribly happy with that put my top-level limit at months instead of years, mm-hmm. okay? And my, my lawyers recommended that I take the deal. I wasn't thrilled with it, but they pointed out to me that if I want to get back in the fight, okay, I've got to limit my liability. Right. Um, for, for crying out loud, this whole thing will be over by the time I get out of jail. If I get in a worst-case situation, I want to be in on the fun. Yeah, I hear you. Well, what fun we're having. Uh, the uh, the government, did the government at any time or anybody from the government, whether it was uh, the prosecutors or any of the uh, uh, you know Congress uh, men and women you may have heard from later, uh, did any of them if, uh, indicate that they understood what you were doing, that you never meant to endanger anybody, and that th- th- this was essentially uh, political free speech? And by the way, costly free speech. As I recall, last time you were on, I, I think you said it, it cost you some $25,000 in your, in your uh, retirement savings uh, from being a postal worker that you had uh, put together uh, to build this gyrocopter in the first place. So did you ever get any sense from anyone in the government that they got you, that they understood what you were trying to do here, Doug Hughes? Uh, there was one uh, congressman from North Carolina who spoke up in the week that I flew um, on the floor. And I should be able to remember his name. It might be Smith, but I, I don't know. Walter, Walter, was that Walter Jones by any chance? Jones, excuse me. Yes. Okay. Uh, a Republican, by the way. Yeah. Okay. yeah. He, well, he was the guy uh, who, who, who made them change from French fries to freedom fries in the nation's capital after 9-11, but later came around to regret that and apologize for that and apologize for voting uh, uh, to go to war in Iraq and everything else. So... Well, I'm glad to hear that he was the one who he, you say he spoke up for you on the, yeah. on the in Congress. He know what he did is he he spoke up in sympathy to the reasons why I flew. Uh-huh. Okay, he did, he certainly didn't endorse a crime, and I wouldn't ask him to. Right. All right. But he said that you could understand why somebody would do this, um, and uh, re- remarkably, uh, I can't point at a single Democrat uh, who has been 
as clear in their defense of understanding why I flew. Wow. Uh, and I am a Democrat. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Uh, uh, and I would, I, I, I will vote that way in the future. But mm-hmm. uh, this hasn't been a rallying point for a lot of people who were in Congress. Not even Alan so Grayson I, down there, who's running for Senate in Florida and uh, has been outspoken on these issues of uh, campaign finance reform and so forth. You haven't even heard from Congressman Alan Grayson? I haven't heard from him directly, uh-huh. and it's interesting because I, I may I may have the opportunity to correct that because I'm reaching out to Alan Grayson this week gotcha. uh, on a different issue. Uh, he's one of my he's one of my favorite people. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's uh, outspoken. Um, he is willing to say what he thinks, and he will admit when he's wrong. Uh, and uh, we, we we only need about 217 more of him in Congress, <laughs> and and would be able to get some things done. Now, now, Doug Hughes, your attorney said that democracy itself is jeopardized when citizens lose the ability to speak to their government. Do you feel that you have lost that right? Do you feel that people have lost that right? Is that what this is about, uh, that, that we no longer have? I mean, I, I can uh, speak to my congressman. I can send them a letter. I can probably set up a meeting uh, when they're out here uh, you know, in, in the in the jurisdiction, or I can go to D.C. and I can speak to the government. Can I not? Um, yeah, there's and there's any number of ways that you can set up uh, online petitions. Okay, the the issue is whether or not you'll get any result out of it. Okay, um, the, the Congress, the government, has gone completely deaf on the issue of money in politics with with a few mm-hmm. really remarkable exceptions on both sides of the aisle, okay? Um, many of the people in Congress plan on going on to K Street after they retire from Congress. The current rate is running right, right at 50% of the people who leave Congress go on to a career uh, working on K Street, making on average a couple of million dollars per year. As a lobbyist okay? uh, in the As lobbying lobbyist, industry, okay? yeah. So... Here's the thing. The people who have that in their career plan have no intention of changing that until until they've had the chance to cash in, okay? Mm -hmm. Of the other half, some of whom may go into the corporate world after they retire from Congress, they have no desire to alienate the 50% whose support they need in Congress for other things they're doing, okay? Mm -hmm. So you have half of them who intend to be crooks, and the other half who don't want to alienate that group because they want to put things forward in Congress. Mm-hmm. So, so they're willing to look the other way, even if they're not interested in committing that particular sin themselves. They're willing to let their colleagues commit that sin. Um, and it's, it, is a, uh, it is a tough thing to overcome. And a letter-writing campaign to Congress is not enough. Okay. Um, we're going to, in my opinion, have to have a voters' rebellion, okay, where we all understand that no matter what our issue is, whether it's being able to have union representation, have environmental, uh, if you're concerned with veterans' rights, if Mm -hmm. you're concerned with rights for seniors, okay, all of these are challenged, and all of them are going to be unrepresented by Congress, Okay, until we get together and we get the money out of politics so that everybody who is in Congress knows 
they've got to answer to us. Doug Hughes, you're making the argument essentially that uh, uh, now former Democratic uh, uh, candidate Lawrence Lessig, Harvard professor uh, who had been running for the 2016 nomination, sounds like the exact same argument that he was making. He said he was running for president essentially uh, and and almost uh, solely in order to achieve campaign finance reform because all of those other issues, which so many of us care about, can never change, can never uh, be taken on until we get money out of politics. Did you hear from uh, Lawrence Lessig last week? Actually ended up dropping out of the race, I'm sorry to say. But uh, were you ever in touch with him, or, or do you know him? Did you hear from him? Because it sounds like the same exact argument he was making as a candidate. I, I, I uh, Professor Lessig reached out to me uh, last week after he heard that I had uh, taken the plea. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he wanted to know if I was okay about it and, and where I was going. And we've written back and forth uh, a couple of times today, actually. Mm. Um, I, am a, I am a huge fan of Professor Lessig. He wrote the book on the, uh, on the subject, uh, Republic Lost. And it's a very high compliment for anybody to tell me I sound like Lawrence Lessig. <laughs> well, you, you do. And, uh, well, please send him our regards and uh, tell him you enjoyed being on the broadcast because we'd love to have him on as well at some point. Uh, Doug, are you uh, the, 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 FA, uh, the FAA, I guess, well, they charged you a fine of $11,000 for your flight. I, I'd love to know what exactly they charged you that for. Uh, I know you spent some $25,000 of your uh, retirement savings uh, to put this together. Uh, the Postal Service, you were a Postal Service at the time of the flight. Uh, are you still working for the post office? How did they respond no. to this? Because you're paying a pretty tall price for all of this, Doug. Yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, I, I stomped on the dragon's tail, and I knew it was going to turn around and come after me. Uh, and it has, and I have no regrets. But, yeah, the post office fired me. Um, the stunt overall did cost me something in excess of $25,000 out of pocket. Uh, and no, I'm, I'm never going to get reimbursed by anybody for that, but I didn't do this to make money. We're having this discussion, which is great. You were having this for a long time back. I know that. Mm -hmm. Okay. But a lot of other people are discussing this who weren't before. I have people who send me clippings about campaign finance reform or corruption in Washington with the notation, these articles, these are articles they're sending me that don't mention me. Mm -hmm. But they're about the subject, and they weren't getting written before my flight, okay? Mm -hmm. I will go to my grave believing that I changed the dialogue, okay? We're it, not yet to the point where we've won, but I did it, and it worked because we're talking about it. Not just people like you and me who were in tune with issue, this issue, but millions of people who weren't there before. And so you say you have no regrets. You ha would have done it all again uh, had you known then what you now know and, and what the price would now be for this? Uh, for In what a heartbeat. In a heartbeat, Brad. Um, and I'm, I'm having the opportunity to work with, with other groups, other leaders. Mm -hmm. uh, later on this week, I'm going to give you a name and contact of somebody that I, that I know you will want to have on your show, uh, a guy by the name of Kai Newkirk, um, because... And I can't go any further than this. He's cooking up something enormous, okay, <laughs> that will overshadow my flight. Okay. Um, and and he's invited me to be a part of that. But unfortunately, it's not going to break until later this week. So all I can say is there's stuff happening. 
Um, but I've been invited by the leaders. I mean, Lessig has befriended me. Kai Newkirk has. Uh, others have reached out to me. I'm in this all the way to the win, and then once we get this done, I'll go ahead and happily fade to obscurity. I'm really not a publicity freak. Uh, ultimately, Doug, if you were king of democracy here, and I realize there's uh, some irony in that phrase, but if you were king of democracy, uh, what form, what well, reform would you put uh, put in place tomorrow if you could just uh, proclaim a change to uh, a campaign finance and money in politics? What would it be? What would you decree, Doug? Um, what I would decree is that anybody should be allowed to enter politics, regardless of their political persuasion or belief, but they cannot profit from their service in politics. How is that done? I wouldn't slam things I wouldn't slam things one way or the other, but nobody should go into public service to make money. But h- how is that done? How would that be technically feasible? I mean, if I ran for office and I uh, and I won and I became very popular, of course, uh, you know, my interest in me goes up after I leave. I'll be able to get a better job than I could before. I'll be able to uh, you know, give speeches. I'll be able to write books that I couldn't had I not run for office. I mean, how could you possibly uh, enforce something like that? Where are you, I don't are make you a familiar profit? with the? Are you familiar with the non-compete clause that's frequently in employment contracts? Sure. Yeah. Okay. The basic idea, and, and the courts have always upheld the non-compete clause, written fairly. Mm-hmm. Okay, because they have deemed that it is in the public interest to protect the corporate interest in it when a contract says you as an individual will be prohibited from working from a competitor. So if you work for Google right. and you signed a non-compete clause, you can't go to work for Apple. For, for a number of years. Right. Well, for a number, for a number of years. years. Yeah. Okay. Um, the same concept can and should be applied to service in Congress, mm-hmm. okay, or, or, or public service, period. Okay, you shouldn't be able to work for who you were previously regulating. So if a person is a petrochemical engineer, he's got the degree, mm-hmm. it only makes sense if he serves in Congress and he quits that he would finish up and go to work for oil companies. Okay, right. But if you don't have a background in the oil industry that would justify a high-paying job, the fact that you previously regulated the oil industry should mean you're barred from going to work for the oil industry. And and what about okay. Yeah, yeah. And, and I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, what about uh, money? And we only got a minute or two here left here. Doug, I want to get through a couple of points. Uh, but what about uh, m- money, campaign finance itself? Uh, how would you like to see that treated if, uh, if you were king of democracy? I, I uh, personally favor the idea of public financing of campaigns mm-hmm. where every voter would get a voucher for maybe a couple of hundred dollars that they can spend as they like on the candidates that they approve of. Mm-hmm. So you would wind up with a much larger amount in politics than is there now, potentially. But people would say, okay, I've got this money that I can spend. i got to figure out how I'm going to spend it because I don't want to blow it on the wrong person. Gotcha. So people would do something they're not now doing. They would actually investigate the candidates, okay, and invest in politics, okay? 
And I can't, rem- uh, I can't remember where I read. I, I th- maybe it was Seattle uh, in the elections last week. I'm trying to remember where I, I saw something exactly like that, where the voters would have the option essentially to have like three $25 coupons that they could give uh, in an election year to any candidate that they liked. Uh, is that akin to what you're talking about? It is. And it's been done. And it's been successful. Done at the state levels. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I should know which states right off the top of my head, and I don't. Uh, but it's been done, and it has been successful. It's reduced the effect of corporate money in in those states that have gone to uh, financing. And if you say, well, wait, no, I don't want my tax dollars used that way. Well, if corporate money is used to influence elections, where do you think the cable companies got their money to influence the legislators in mm-hmm. order to... Uh, change the cable laws yeah you paid that money because you you got a subscription to a cable company so you were indirectly paying into a scheme that will allow your cable bills to go up well okay you know and you hit on something else here doug that has driven me crazy for a long time one of the reasons that uh, corporate media does do not cover I believe this issue as much as they might otherwise is because when we talk about the flood of money in into campaigns, into elections, you know, hundreds of millions, billions now of dollars, much of that money goes to the media enterprises via political ads that they are. The media are the big, big beneficiaries of this floodgate of of money coming into politics and coming into elections. So, of course, you know, they don't have any particular uh, uh, driving interest to get it out, to, you know, to let people know how obscene this is, how much money it is that is flowing in, because they are receiving so much of it, Doug. Uh, listen, uh, you, if you uh, plead to this felony, got just a minute here, uh, if you plead to this felony in Florida, as I, well, unfortunately, you will lose your right to vote in Florida uh, as a uh, as a convicted felon. But even worse, you'll also lose that right in Florida even after you have served all your time, whatever it is, probation or jail time. Uh, thanks to the shameful way that the Florida Governor Rick Scott there now keeps more than a million former felons from being able to participate in their democracy. Uh, how, how do you feel about your stunt now, uh, Doug? Are you sure you did the right thing in, in landing there, losing a lot of money, well, I, losing your job, and I, now I, losing your vote? I, I'm not encouraging anyone not to exercise their voting right, but you don't realize, Brad, you lost your voting rights when the system changed to the point where you can only choose between the Democrat corporate-selected candidate and the Republican corporate-selected candidate, okay? So how much better off are you than am I, okay? It needs to be so that we wind up selecting between candidates, whether it's Democrat or the Republican, who is sincerely intending to represent the people, okay? We all lost our right to vote when we gave elections over to corporations, well, and, and I'll agree with you on, on uh, much of that point. At le- out here in California, at least, we are able to vote for other parties as well. But I certainly take your point, uh, and, and particularly, particularly in a world where, uh, you know, the corporate media pretends as if there are only two parties. It is only Republican or Democratic. There are no other options, which, of course, is not the case. Uh, at least for most voters in most places, there are other options, but... But I, I certainly take your point, uh, Doug Hughes. What happened to your uh, What happened to your gyrocopter? Do you get it back? And uh, 
How can uh, anybody help you? Uh, do, are you asking for donations? Do you have a legal defense fund or, or something like that where uh, people can find you and help you out uh, on a personal level or on a, uh, a political level with your campaign? On, on, on a personal level, I would uh, really appreciate uh, so My Social Security kicks in in about a month, but right now uh, I'm living on food stamps, literally. Mm. Okay. Um, and I have a GoFundMe uh, under Doug Hughes. So if you search GoFundMe under Doug Hughes, you know, a few bucks will be a huge help, mm. okay? Okay. But you know that I never even asked you to put that plug in, um, mm. and I certainly didn't try and go there during the interview. Uh, I'm in this for getting it done. I'll find a way to get by. I'm a survivor. Well, uh, I'm, I'm glad to hear that you are. Uh, I uh, would be delighted if people did go to your GoFundMe page, and we'll try to find that link and include it in our uh, article at bradblog.com when we post this uh, conversation later today, Doug, um, because I, I, I think people need to stand behind you. You have clearly stood behind us, uh, stood behind this, this country and fighting for what you feel is the right thing putting your uh, not only your vote, your livelihood, but also your life at risk in doing this. So, uh, Doug Hughes, great to talk to you. Uh, thank you for all you're doing. Keep up the uh, keep up the fight as as best as you can. And we'll keep our eyes on uh, what's going on as you head towards this uh, final plea deal, I guess, later in, in November and then uh, final sentencing a few months later. Douglas Hughes, uh, check out his uh, work at thedemocracyclub.org. And yes, please go on over to his GoFundMe page and help him out a little bit the way he's been trying to help us out. Uh, Doug, thank you uh, for joining us again. Thank you so much, Brad. And all the best. It's always a pleasure to be on. Thank you, brother. All right, a quick break, and we are back with more Bradcast right after this. I'm Brad Friedman. Stay tuned. Was it Cesar Chavez or Rosa Parks that day? Some say Dr. King or Gandhi That set them on their way No matter who your mentors are It's pretty plain to see That if you've been to jail for justice You're in good company Have you been to jail for justice? I want to shake your hand Welcome back to Bradcast Brad Friedman from Bradblog dot com uh once again if you'd like to help doug hughes who who really did not want to uh did not want to ask for help uh really but i think he deserves it uh go to uh gofundme actually just go to google and search gofundme one word and doug hughes and it'll take you right there otherwise i'll i'll put the uh the link up at bradblog.com um <laughs> All right. Uh, well, you know what? We are, of course, running late as usual, so I don't have time to get into much of anything else. So I will just do this since we need a laugh to get us out uh, at the end of the day. This is a story that uh, video that I ran over the weekend at Bradblog.com, and it went absolutely uh, crazy. People apparently love seeing people at Fox News beating up on each other, particularly when it's two kings of Fox News. Uh, the main king, Bill O'Reilly, and uh, the, uh, well, George Will, the guy who used to be a well-respected conservative. Now he's just a loon over at Fox News. You may not be able to make sense, complete sense of it from this uh, chopped-up clip we have, but you go to bradblog.com and see the whole thing. 
apparently they're fighting over Bill O'Reilly's new book, Killing Reagan. And uh, here's how that devolved uh, late on Friday on Fox News. President's story segment tonight, an attack on my book, Killing Reagan. Syndicated columnist George Will Get also works here at the popcorn. Fox News channel. Wrote a column entitled, Bill O'Reilly Slanders Ronald Reagan. After reading the column, I can say with certainty... George Will libels Bill O'Reilly. So you write that my book is a no facts zone. Do you want to talk about Bill O'Reilly or about Bill O'Reilly? Okay, book? my name is O'Reilly. Michael Deaver, do you know Michael <laughs> Deaver? Oh, what, what, are you, what are you laughing at, Will? You are actively yes, misleading the American people. You are You're lying. You're something of an expert on you actively are, misleading. You oh are my. lying. It is not a laudatory book. It, it is, is, is a laudatory book or you can't read. It is doing the work of the left, which knows that in order to discredit conservatism, it must destroy Reagan's reputation as a president. And your book does the work of the American left with its extreme recklessness. And when you, you finally got around after the book's publication, Ed you said you were vetting the memo. Conditions. It's, it's Nobody a memo comes on you with haven't conditions. even seen. So I do not understand how you vet a memo you've never seen. All right, look, all of what we write in Killing Reagan is true. You're a hack. You're in with the cabal of the Reagan loyalists who don't want the truth to be told. Killing Reagan is a laudatory book. That's why a fact. Did Ra why do Reagan loyalists not want this laudatory book Because published? they wanted a Very deification. Curious. They wanted a deification. They tried to get the book killed before it was even published. And you that is, play right that, into the, the hands. That, by the way, is a lie. That, by the way, is a lie. That isn't a lie. And we can prove it. And you are so. a hack. Do so. Do Bye. so, Mr. Oh, man. A hack. I mean, does he get a cough up a hairball there? Uh, can you believe it? they're called liars and hacks right there on Fox News? And uh, I'm sure they say, oh, great. Everybody, uh, all the left is just uh, delighted about this. Yeah, we kind of are. It is hilarious. It is kind of hilarious. Go see the whole thing over at bradblog.com. Woo! Talk about your dirty laundry. Well, hopefully that lightens things up a little bit today. My thanks to our producer, Desi Doy, and to our booking goddess, Cynthia Cohn, and, of course, to my guest, Doug Hughes of thedemocracyclub.org. Uh, if you missed any portion of the program, download it at bradblog.com or over on iTunes. And don't forget to find us and follow us on the Facebooks and the Twitters at the Brad Blog. You can also drop us email. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. Com. Look forward to hearing from you. Until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. Hey,